Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to mitigate crises and help teams get back on track. This podcast is about helping the C-suite leader to navigate challenges with confidence. For today's leader, I'm here to help you get back on track. Tomorrow's leader, let me partner with you to learn the secrets of the C-suite. Wherever you're at in your career, this is the podcast for you. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, founder of the Drop-In CEO brand, and I am so thrilled you have joined us on another episode of the podcast where week after week, I talk to amazing leaders who share their insights with you and hopefully inspire you. And if you love this episode, I ask you share with your community. Don't keep this a secret. Share with everybody because in the end, we want to be able to elevate the community, especially C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow, navigate their challenges with confidence. And today, I am so excited to bring on the show my friend, Joseph Llewellyn, who is an automotive professional for over 30 years and has spent extensive time in manufacturing, automation engineering, quality engineering, and quality management, as well as continuous improvement. And, you know, the reason why I wanted to bring him onto the show is he is so talented, but he is also committed to helping others. He specializes in leadership and training with emphasis on people working together to find a better way. Music to my heart, Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So I am so grateful for my listeners. Oh my, the beauty of the network. I found Joe because I was looking to connect with people in operations, manufacturing quality. I have a quality and operational excellence background. And when I got to know Joe, I said, oh my, I have to bring him onto the show because his thoughts about quality and people and operations are so distinct that I had to bring his voice to you. So Joe, I am going to give you the platform now. Please share a little bit about yourself personally and the journey that you've been on that impacts so many. My name is Joseph Llewellyn and the question I'm sure is in everybody's mind is why should I be speaking on quality? I am a humble servant of the leadership cast, so I definitely believe in servant leadership. I'm a disciple of Deming. I've studied his rules and the 14 points, and I believe that I'm an apostle of quality for the new world. And I feel like we've known about the Deming and the Demaic and all these different continuous improvement examples, but we missed the boat. And here's some of the places I feel like we've missed the boat. I've worked in automation controls, manufacturing, quality, management, and engineering, and I've never seen a process run itself. It always comes down to people. So I think that the number one thing we have to agree on is that all processes can be improved, and we don't have to hold on to some false idol or idea as a golden standard. We can say, listen, we can always improve, but we have to start with people, people, and people. The reason I say this is because times change, people change. Nobody cares about your past job as much as they care about trying a new approach. So you can definitely learn from your past. I'm not saying to not learn from your past. I'm saying, yes, celebrate your past, but also celebrate your future. Go boldly into that future and allow people to learn and and give them the space to grow and learn also. You know, I love what you just said there about celebrating the past, but also bringing it forward. Sometimes people get stuck in the past, but what it's one of those things that we get to know the people around you. And again, I love your point about it's people, people, people that make things work, that interface with that automation or that process. 
but we need to celebrate, at least spend time getting to know the people and what were they amazing at? What are their thoughts? What has worked well in the past? And move people to a future state because we'd love to take that intellectual property, that passion, their teachings, their knowledge, and then evolve them into something that collectively we can move forward together. You speak to my book, The CEO's Compass, and we talk about those compass points of the past. And it only starts with getting to know the people first. Absolutely. Now, I want to go dig deeper into this because you and I talk for so much during our discovery calls. Let's go to Deming again. Deming, a famous quality leader you talk about is 14 points. But you say sometimes we miss the mark that people know them, but maybe don't effectively implement them. So talk to me about his teachings and why people may fail in the implementation. I want to bring up my three top Deming quotes. They live kind of in and around the Deming 14 points. And the number one is quality is everyone's responsibility. As a manager, people would ask me, Joe, what should we do? And I would say, what would you do if I wasn't here? And people would look at me and go, what do you mean? I'd say, what would you do if I wasn't here? Would you send this? Would you want this? And I would challenge people to think about what they think is good quality because I can't work 24-7. Nobody can. So what, what happens when the managers and the leaders all go home? Are people empowered to make good choices? So quality is everyone's responsibility. Don't just put it on a select few people. And then if something goes wrong, go, well, give it to quality or quality should have been all over that. No, everybody needs to say, wait a minute, this doesn't look right. Let's get a second opinion. Is this good enough? Yes or no. You don't have to stop the line. Everybody needs to make good choices along the way. The second one, the second quote is, a bad system will beat a good person every time. So Deming said this, and I was watching this documentary on Hamilton and the improv group that created the musical Hamilton. And a guy said, you can take a sentence and flip it around and sometimes bring a new meaning to it. So when I see a a sentence like a bad system will beat a good person every time, when I flip it around, I say, so a great system will make everyone better. And that's what we need to focus on. Can we make a great system that makes everybody better? Not a select few that are going to be the gatekeepers for quality, but everybody gets incrementally better at their performance and their quality expectations. And last but not least, Another Deming quote that I feel is vitally important is he says, it's not enough to do your best. You have to know what to do and then do your best. So this comes down to training, 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 and then also a safe place to make mistakes. I've seen less than 25% of the companies that I've had a pleasure of either visiting or working for have legitimate training areas where people can get to know the product and the process in a safe place training area before they're thrown out on the line. Sometimes we just kind of train people right there on the spot and we throw them in there. What about that place where you can do little experiments and find out if you can find a better way without disrupting production? So having a safe place to make mistakes, a safe place to learn so that people know what to do and then they can do their best. And they can be a part of that continuous improvement process from the minute they walk in the door. So those three three things, quality is everyone's responsibility. A bad system will beat a good person every time. So a great system will make everyone better. 
And it's not enough to do your best. You have to know what to do and then do your best. So let's do the training, the training, and the training to make it fun and create a safe place so people can make mistakes and learn from them. Those are my three big Deming takeaways. I'd love to hear what other people think are the most important parts of Deming's 14 points or the things they've learned along the way in future episodes. And so Joe has thrown down the gauntlet. Any of you quality professionals, any of you operations professionals, I want you to engage with this episode. Reach out to me. Reach out to Joe. His contact information will be in the show notes. Let's continue the conversation because I say sound advice that you have spun off of Deming's principles, not just for quality leadership, but leadership in general. And what I want to do is just ask for your opinion. One of the things you said is we have to empower people to make good choices. We need to have safe spaces for people to experiment and evolve their capability. What are those barriers that prevent it? What gets in the way of organizations and leadership for which we're not doing what is, what I would say, common sense and not rocket science to enable people and train them in the right way to get the right result? What are the barriers and what do we have to overcome? Well, I can tell you about my personal barrier, and I think it applies to a lot of people if you can honestly reflect and and look in the mirror and say, hey, does this apply to me? Wayne Dwyer, he was a Tony Robbins before Tony Robbins got big. And he talked about the ego and that setting aside your ego is the key to unlocking your unlimited potential. If you can literally drop your ego down to zero, then you can accomplish anything. And I really struggled with, hey, you know, there's a difference between my ego and my personality. And if I can lower my ego, but still retain my personal, my unique charisma or whatever you want to call it, then I can achieve anything. And that's when you start to realize that we're all individuals, even though we're working towards common goals, it's okay for us to be different and to have different approaches. My way is not the only way. That whole my way or the highway thing, it doesn't work anymore. People want to be able to express themselves. So let them be creative as we're working towards a common goal. If everybody can lower their ego down and allow their personality to come forward in the most positive way possible, we can do anything. One of the things I talk so much about is there's a little bit of ego and all of it is a little bit about business culture. We're so focused on just getting the results, get those people trained, get them on the line. We got quotas. We got to move things forward. And by the way, quality will, one, check it to make sure we get everything out right. But oh my, if it doesn't work, we're going to pull in quality to fix it, which goes against your principle that everybody should be empowered to make good choices and good decisions. I have seen so often people on the front line or in product development or what have you are faced with these conflicting choices, product to market versus the best quality and service to our customers. And it is just those simple things of don't put it on just few, but how can we give people good decision logic for which they can raise their hand and at least ask a question, not stop the line, but ask a question. Is this the right thing to do for our customers and in the name of quality? Absolutely. I love, love, love what you have to say. Now, one of the things I would love for you to go into, because we talked about this, is sometimes we want to get people excited about quality, excited about initiatives. We've got something new. We've got a new marketing plan. We've got values and vision, and we got slogans. And what is your view on slogans? (laughs) (laughs) I love them, but they go against Deming's 14 points. So I had to challenge myself to 
adjust. Like you can't just have a slogan, you know, no bad parts to the customer. That was my rallying cry. Let's do this. Come on, we can do this. You have to be able to break things down and teach people along the way. So yes, you, you want to rally people. You want to get them excited, but you have to be able to educate them so they know what it really means. If you say no bad parts to the customer, then what is a bad part? What is a good part? Do I have examples of each? Can I show you how to make your production rate and still provide the best possible quality? Or did I just get out in front of you and say, let's go team. Yay. Let's go. Rah, rah, rah. But I didn't really tell you what you need to do. So if I could find a way to challenge people, make competitions, make games, get people to flex train and cross train. When you see people learn a new way and you see their eyes light up and they get excited, there is no better feeling as a leader, as a manager, as a coach, as a mentor, just as a friend to see somebody do something that really gets them excited about coming to work. I have to lean into this a little bit. I've shared this story on a few podcasts. I share your joy when you see teams really understand it. We once had a major issue, an error, a contamination that got to a customer. So we were doing everything we could to error-proof the process so that we would do it right. And part of that was training materials. I was taking a video of a supervisor trying to explain this process for training others so others don't make the same mistake. And the interesting thing was there was an operator popping his head into the video. And I saw that and we cut the video and asked the operator, do you want to be able to explain about this critical process? And they said, yes. And as soon as they got on and we started filming, they explained what the process was. Do this first, do this second. This is the desired output because if we don't do this in this sequence, this is the impact on the customer. And oh my, my heart was singing. I was almost tearing up because when you can see somebody truly understand what they're doing, why they're doing it, and what the impact is on the downstream, we as leaders know we've empowered them, we've trained them, we've invested in the people, and ultimately they, all the people around us are in service to the customer. So I just wanted to share that. I wish for every leader to have that experience and see what quality is in action. Absolutely. I have a series of challenges. I have a series of talking points that I hope we can touch on some of them today. But to me, the ultimate goal is to take some of these talking points and develop workshops and to be able to present them live with people, get that engagement in a crowd setting and hopefully transform anywhere from 10 people to 100 people to 1,000 people at a time with an interactive workshop that touches on these subjects. So we're going to go there right now because this is completely unscripted. I want to go there. Just so you know, I happen to be on the programming committee for the American Society for Quality for my chapter. Love this topic. I would love, love to know what might that workshop look like. And again, this could be for any leader, any organization that struggles and wants to be able to make things fun, to make things real and invest in people. So what might be one of those mm, sticky quality problems that you would touch upon or how would you engage with the people? I think that one of the ones I like is if people will take a look at their quality management system, their data collection methods, and then ask themselves, do I possess on my body right now more technology than my quality management system has? And just really do like an interactive, if you have this, step forward. If you do your quality system this way, take a step backwards and then see how the crowd separates or expands or breathes in real time. And then as people come forward, say, okay, these are the people 
that are using the same level of technology in their quality management system that they use in their day-to-day life. Everybody else, you're using old school quality management system, but how are you going to teach that to a new generation that has fully embraced this new technology, but you want them to use pencil and paper, or you want them to use these like things that were around 80 years ago. I think Downing had some great ideas 80 years ago, but times have changed. Take a look at some of the movies from 40 years ago that tried to predict what today would be like. They weren't necessarily 100% right. They got some things right. They missed the mark on some things. So it's time to go back and readjust. I'd love to play a little bit with this topic. I so get the newer generations live and thrive and perform and make decisions leveraging technology. And I get that we need to support new ways of working. On the other hand, to your point earlier, if you have a bad process, you know, it's going to not enable people to be their best. If you don't already have a culture where people are communicating, have a collaborative mindset and, and have a safe space, putting a quality management system with the best technology in place, will that really solve your issue? Or do you maybe need to work on the culture and ways of working and values? You got to work on the culture too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I think that, okay, you can go extremely low tech. Not every team building has to be a baseball game and a tailgate party and things like this. I think one of the greatest team building events out there is when you do community service and charity work. Take your team down to the soup kitchen and work for a day. Take your team to a park and just clean the park. Go down to play it against sports and go down to Dick's Sporting Goods or Dunham's. Buy a bunch of bicycles, build them, fix them, restore them, ride them, and then give them to a charity. Do something where people can appreciate the fact they've got a steady job, a steady income, and maybe we don't have everything that we want, but our needs are being met. And then show them, hey, these people would love to have a hand up. Are we going to be the kind of people that lift people up or are we going to be the kind of people that tear people down? You know, that's so beautiful. Again, that is one of those things we can build a culture, sense of community bringing people together, because if at least you have that as a foundation when faced with challenges, with your quality issues, customers, internal quality, what have you, you've at least built the foundation of people potentially trusting people each more, having each other's back because of just common history. Sometimes we all come together from different backgrounds, lifestyles, family situations, and there's no commonality except from our technical profession. The team building in terms of community and giving back You've then created a common history together for which then people can move forward. I love the idea. I wanted to take a moment to remind you that a recent study showed nearly 60% of leaders feel depleted at the end of the day. And this feeling is a key indicator of burnout and makes it difficult to lead and inspire others. If you've ever experienced that restless exhaustion, you know why CEOs are amongst the most likely candidates for experiencing job frustration. I wrote The CEO's Compass, your guide to get back on track, to confront those feelings and create a plan that is sustainable for you and your organization. I created a seven-point assessment that will help you figure out your problems in days, not months. And it includes so many resources, worksheets, videos, and much, much more. If this is you, please head over to my website, dropinceo.com and click on my products, the CEO's Compass, and order yours on Amazon or other outlets. And now, back to the conversation. Now, 
I'm going to move in another direction because this is why I found you so interesting was that you have a lot of unique thoughts or you have taken some traditional quality principles, but then evolved them further. And we've often talked about the new book on quality. And so I'm wondering what that new book on quality might be about and what do you hope to accomplish it? Because you and I may evolve this (laughs) into something bigger than just you and I. A good start, a good foundation, if you really honestly look at it, Deming wrote Managing Through Crisis, and there were people that came before Deming. And then the Toyota production system was created, world-class manufacturing, Six Sigma, all these different systems were created. But if we look at the Deming 14 points and do an honest litmus test with the Deming 14 point, you'll see it's kind of like a pH scale. Most places are like distilled water. They're like a seven. That's not necessarily bad because you're doing seven things extremely well, but very rarely do you see companies doing 10 or 12 out of those 14 points well. So what would it take to be honest, to honestly reflect and say, this one's hiding in my blind spot. I need help. Somebody get me over this. And that's why this plays into the challenges and plays into the workshops, plays into a journey of discovery. We say, okay, look at What would it take in 2023 to right this wrong? How do we get away from KPIs to where people just instinctively know if we're ahead or behind schedule? If we instinctively know that we're improving quality or we're starting to settle for good enough when it really needs to be, how do I get one better tomorrow instead of just good enough for the rest of my career and just kind of ride it out? No, let's not do that. Let's continue to challenge ourselves to keep getting a little better every day. So how do we help evolve a leader, whether they're quality or operations, because they are working lockstep towards common goals? You talk about instinct or just knowing. Again, we are trained by compliance, by standards, by numbers, by those rulers to show what is good or what bad, or at least the minimum. And I know you talk about don't just set a minimum, otherwise people check their minds. But what is it about a leader will know or driving the right behavior for which they can temporarily put aside the numbers. What do they need to do to know, or what do they need to lean into to feel that we are doing the right things and say, leadership, I know we haven't hit the numbers just yet, but trust me, this is the foundation for doing what is needed for sustainable improvements. Let's go there because not all quality leaders understand this. So if I had all the answers right now, We'd already have the book written. We'd be sitting on Easy Street. We'd have a private island. We'd have an office there. We'd be able to bring our families in. This is what it takes to get there. And the first step is, again, setting aside your ego. Any great personality, if you look at the different personality types and the different tribal leaderships, you're only going to appeal to what percentage of people if everybody's got to do it your way. One of the worst things you can say as a leader is, I just can't find good people. 80 to 90% of the people want to have a good job, a good career, something they can be proud of. So how do you set aside your ego so you can connect with as many people as possible? And then if, let's say you connect with 100 people, is your way going to be the best way or is part of your way going to be part of the best way? It's okay to concede that maybe 25 to 50% of my plan needs to change based on the input of my team. 
I love this. I love this. I'm like smiling so much here because I too got to that place where, you know, as a leader, we are trained, we have our quality certifications. We know what's right. We are going to charge up the hill and have people follow us. And then when we don't get the results, and I wasn't getting the results in one particular role, I realized I had to change my leadership. I realized that I was no longer the smartest person. My role was to help the people that are doing the work remove their barriers, enable their skills so that they can make the right decisions, they can have the higher impact. And then I started focusing my time on the people development. How could I upskill them? How could they have greater messaging? try things out. I would even try things out on them and they would enrich my plan. So ultimately, they were not just mine, but they were the collective. As soon as I started working in a different way, I started seeing the numbers go up, people pulling on my organization, wanting to work with us, asking for help. It changed the dynamics for which 18 months later, the results came. And so I so agree with you. The way a leader needs to operate differently is yes, it does depend on your skills, But really, the true beauty is the strength of enabling your team and building their skills. You can't do it alone. It's not going to serve you anymore. So I'm going to actually echo what you just said. The removing of roadblocks as a manager or leader is, if you can focus on doing that, you'll be amazed at what kind of results your team can bring you that you would have never thought of on your own yourself. I loved trying to make games out of things. And learning knack development and tactile development. So you see so much, you hear so much. A little game that I had was can somebody spot a defect blindfolded? People are, oh, you're crazy, you can't do that. I was like, try it, let's just try it. And we were laughing about it. It was a joke until somebody did it. And then it was like, whoa, wait a minute. Now teach that to the next person, teach them how to feel for the defect. If you stand back in a factory, there's a rhythm that a factory that runs well has. You can hear it. There's little clicks and clacks and squeaks and things. Have you ever heard about the mechanic that can just hear an engine and tell you if the engine's in tune and they can tell you what kind of car it is? So if you stand back and you listen and you smell and you like feel the vibrations, can you tell when a process is working well? And then If something's not right, can you feel it? You don't have to see the fire to smell the smoke. You know that, hey, something doesn't smell right. Maybe something's burning. Oh, I I looked in the monitor and, and and the dial gauges and everything looks good. Hey, but something doesn't smell right. Then you go, you follow the smell, then, hey, wait a minute. Now I see the smoke. Something is definitely wrong. What happens if a cable got unplugged? What happens if your data collection system didn't catch it. Do you have the tactile things in place to do that? So if you can challenge people to get out of their traditional way of doing things and and just think about the most unorthodox way to, to solve a problem, brainstorm, put it on the whiteboard, put it on a wall somewhere, and then come back and see if you can do it. Figure out which ones you hit. You know, this resonates with me. I'm I'm smiling again. I know my listeners are just listening, but I hope you can hear the smile again too. Joe's point, can you feel the excitement and the passion? This is similar to curling. There are different ways we train curlers in being able to understand how is the stone moving over the ice? Is it fast? Is it slow? So we can give information to the captain or skip to know how to call the shot. And some people will use stopwatches to see how long it takes the stone to go from point A to point B as an indicator of is it going fast or slow. 
I was never trained that way. I never used a stopwatch. But the point of listening to the stone going over the ice and the pebbles and hearing the sound, how fast I'm walking and just looking at the ice and just looking at past patterns, how have the other stones done? I am more accurate because I have a feel for how fast the stone is going, when to sweep it, give proper information to the skip. And I would say my method of just feeling is just as good, if not better, than just looking at that stopwatch. Love, love that point. And it's about stepping back and having the courage to check your ego and just look, is this system working? Love it. What's the future of Joe? Where is Joe and your leadership insights going to go? Where will Joe be in two or three years? What would we like to see happen? Because I want myself and people listening to be part of the journey because I think this is quality, I don't know, 5.0 or even something completely different. We need to do something different to get a different outcome. I'm hoping that you'll see me as somebody who's continued to grow teams where people said, you know what? That Joe, he sounded kind of crazy when I first met him, but at least half of the stuff that he said really, really changed the way I looked at some things. Developing the workshops, being able to just engage people, and then doing a lot of things with charity and community service along the way. Because if we're not making the community around us better, every business provides a service to a community of people. Well, if we're not protecting the health of our community, then at the end of the day, the business cannot continue to thrive. It's going to destroy itself because it destroyed the community that it was servicing in the first place. So again, if I can continue to grow, continue to engage people and continue to give back while I'm moving forward, I feel like I'll, I'll be on the right track. So Joe, I am grateful that I have found you. I was brave enough to check my ego. I was looking for ways to connect with people as part of building my business, but also having a greater impact by just reaching out and finding you, happenstance, we are here today sharing your story and having a conversation that hopefully our listeners and community will benefit from and hopefully share with others. I do need to bring this to a close for our listeners, but just know this is not the end for Deb and Joe. Joe and Deb collaborating on something that I think is so important. Any last thoughts or things you would like to share with our community before we bring it to a close? So before we close, I definitely want to challenge everybody to tune in next time. And maybe we can dive a little deeper into the Deming 14 points, or the actual individual points that he made. But I also want to challenge the listeners to send you or send me, or when they come on your show, tell us what those quality sticking points are so we can try to find a way to help people get over the hump. Sometimes things are just hiding in your blind spot. I've had friends tell me in the past, Oh man, you're great to be around. You're a funny guy. You're this, that, and the other. Sometimes you can be so negative. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I need to be the most positive person in the room. Period. That was the end of it. It was right that. It just, it was that moment, that epiphany moment. And I hope that we can help bring other people to those same epiphany moments. Here's this one thing that was hiding in your blind spot. How do we get you to get past it? Beautifully said, so applicable, not just to my quality community, but anybody in leadership. There is so much that you have shared, Joe, that I am so grateful for. This is not the end, but just simply the end for now. A special thank you to all of our listeners who have joined us again on the Drop-In CEO podcast. I wish everybody in the community well and much success. And Joe, it has been my pleasure. And I do wish you well and continue success. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO podcast. I hope you are inspired by our conversation and can apply what you heard to your business or career goals. 
If you found this episode valuable, please share this show with at least one friend who would find it useful and inspiring. Your support allows me to keep sharing insights and inspiration to leaders who are working their way to the C-suite. To connect with me or learn more about the Drop-In CEO services, go to my website at dropinceo.com. And until we meet, I wish you well and much success.